The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Learn about the World Blind Union in a motivational presentation by the organization's North American Caribbean Region President. Welcome to ACB Reports for January 2017. Charles Mossop, a resident of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada, is a recognized author and motivational speaker. He is also the president of the North American Caribbean region of the World Blind Union. On July 4, 2016, Mr. Mossop addressed the general session of the annual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind. He was introduced by ACB First Vice President Jeff Tom. Mr. Charles Mossop now is retired from a 42-year career as a post-secondary educator, administrator, and private consultant in international development. He spent some of his early life in Britain, but he's now lived for quite a long time on Vancouver Island on Canada's west coast. Partially sighted since the age of 19 due to star guards, he enjoys hobbies such as gardening, playing the piano, and classical guitar when he isn't writing. A lifelong lover of mystery and adventure stories, Charles began his career as a professional writer in 2004. Using his background as a social scientist and historian, he's published a number of short stories, numerous articles on historical fiction, and three novels. He has recently completed a six-year term as a member of the National Board of Directors of the Canadian National Institute of the Blind, CNIB, and he continues as a member of the divisional and regional boards for CNIB. In addition, he currently serves as an advisor on governance to the Canadian Council of the Blind, and on the international stage, he is president of the North American Caribbean Region of the World Blind Union. As an officer of the WBU, he travels the world to attend meetings and conferences aimed at improving the lives of persons who are blind or partially sighted wherever they may live. He's also active as a motivational speaker. And let's give a very warm welcome to Mr. Charles Mossop. Thank you for that very kind and generous introduction. Madam President, delegates, it's a great privilege and an honor for me to be here. I love the spirit that's in this room. Unity of purpose is the strength that we have. So let's recognize that now. Put your hands together for the shared intent and purpose. And it's a particular pleasure to be here on the 4th of July, Independence Day. So from your neighbors to the north, happy birthday, America. Yeah. You know, Canada had its birthday last Friday, but we're only 149. Uh, we're uh, a long way behind you. 
And uh, when we received our independence in 1867, we did it with a good deal less flourish than, uh, than you did. Our parliament, uh, such as it was constituted in those days, contacted London, uh, which was the seat of our government up until then, and said, well, we've had enough of this, if it's all the same to you. We would very much like to make our own decisions. And the British Parliament said, meh, okay. <laughs> and so uh, the British North America Act was passed, and Canada got its own independent parliament and was allowed to make its own decisions up to a point insofar as all the laws that were uh, promulgated by the Canadian Parliament had to go back to London for approval by Her Majesty the Queen, Victoria, in those days. Canada was assured that she would never turn down anything that we requested. So Canada said, "Eh, okay. (laughs) And with that, it was done. Now, of course, in your case, it was far more dramatic, far more fun, and has provided a lot more fodder for historians such as myself, particularly interested in uh, the British attitude to the fact that their redcoats had to march in a line while your Minutemen were allowed to hide behind the trees and shoot at them. (laughs) The British considered this to be considerably unsporting. But nevertheless, by George, it was effective. (laughs) Anyway, how perfect is it to be able to talk to you today on Independence? Independence Day, in which we can celebrate the independence that we have won over the years, although we still have a long way to go. But nevertheless, independence is what we seek, is it not? It is not simply independence in a narrow sense. We're looking at it in terms of its broadest possible implications. We're looking for the independence to participate fully in the social, political, economic, and cultural lives of our communities, to travel freely, to be employed and thereby obtain for ourselves and retain for ourselves the dignity and sense of self-worth that independence truly brings. At the age of 18, I was faced with what I considered to be certainly the loss of my independence. I had been living in England for some time and was preparing to come to Canada for uh, my university career. And one day, when I was looking out of my bedroom window to see if it was snowing in the dead of winter, uh, I looked in the streetlight to see if I could see any snow falling, which is what I had done up to that time, having 20-20 vision and never thinking about a time that I might not have. And I looked in the light, and I couldn't see any snow. And I thought, oh, good. That means I don't have to get the early bus to work. But then as I glanced away, the snow appeared. Looked back at the light, no snow. Looked away from the light, and there was the snow. So I thought, oh, that's bizarre. (laughs) How strange. However, that was the beginning, the earliest onset of what was later to be diagnosed as Stargardt's disease. Over the course of my lifetime, 
and I will be 72 in September. I am incredibly old. <laughs> My sight has declined uh, over time. When I was diagnosed, they told me to leave university. They said, you should get the kind of training you need for the kind of job you're going to be able to do, but you probably won't be able to work for any more than about 10 years, uh, and then, you know, you will be on social assistance as a disabled person. Well, I've got news for them. It didn't work out quite that way. Many organizations came to my rescue, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, the Canadian Council of the Blind. Technology came along, which nobody dreamed of in those days, and so on and so forth. And I have been able to have a rewarding and wonderful career and move on to do many things uh, that I very much enjoy uh, doing now. Independence is something that we seek, but independence is a right, and a right is a need which is enshrined in law, and we need to claim that right, but rights differ and perceptions of independence differ. Some years ago, uh, when I was on a business trip in Asia, I was at a stage of still being able to travel independently, but at certain airports, I couldn't see the gate numbers because they were too small. And I was in Hong Kong, which was one such airport before they built the new one, in which I'm completely unable to travel independently because it's so huge. And I saw coming towards me an employee of an airline of which I was a gold club member. So I flashed my gold card and I said, excuse me, can you tell me please how to get to the gate for the flight to Singapore? And she said, I'm afraid I don't know, sir, but if you go and look at the display, um, you can find out there. It wasn't a video display in those days. It was a horrible, great mechanical thing that went clank, 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 bang, 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 and all the names changed and everything. You couldn't keep up with the confounded thing anyway. So there I was. I said, no, uh, I won't be able to do that because I can't see it. And she said then, sir, probably you shouldn't be traveling. And, um, well, you can say to yourself, that was a long time ago, and it was a, in a, uh, a particular culture which does not share, perhaps, our value structure. But uh, a friend of mine is just returned from a month holiday in a certain southern European country, and she was frequently told to go away, to go home. Several people said, you frighten me, I'm afraid of you. And she would ask for help, and people would just say, no, I'm not prepared to help you, please go away. Now, that was not everybody, right? Let's put that into perspective. But she did hear that from a surprising number of people, so that you can tell that even though the perception of rights differ and the perceptions of independence differ, this is a very real problem. And I can get more precise than that. Uh, a year ago, I was in China representing the World Blind Union in a sidebar conference on disability uh, associated with the Asia-Pacific Economic Council, APEC. And I met there a woman who was completely blind 
And uh, her husband had walked out on her upon her becoming blind. And about a month or so after he did that, he disappeared, she discovered she was pregnant. She gave birth to what she described as the most beautiful baby daughter in the whole world. And she cherished and adored that child for one month until the state police came knocking at her door and told her that she was blind and she couldn't raise a child and she knows nothing of her daughter now. So she was denied the fundamental right to independently raise and nurture and cherish her own child. In Tibet, annexed by China in 1950, you risk being beaten or even killed if you're seen outside with a white cane. Blind people in Tibet have to be extraordinarily careful if they go out, and of course, most of the time, they don't dare. But if they do go out, they cannot give the appearance of being blind. They go out with somebody who is fully sighted or siblings or parents or some group of individuals uh, with whom or amongst whom they can sort of melt into oblivion so that they won't be seen. In Tanzania, in southeastern Africa, the situation is horrendous for individuals who are partially sighted as a result of albinism. They're hunted down and killed because of tribal beliefs that if their body parts are made into a certain concoction and the concoction is taken, that this will lead to increased chances for greater prosperity. Now, the WBU and other foundations are working with the Tanzanian government to try and stamp these things out. And we're working with the Chinese government uh, to try and solve the situation in Tibet. And the uh, Chinese Federation of Disabled People is working with the Chinese government to try and overcome these differing perceptions of what is right, what is their right, and what is true independence. But here, when we advocate... We advocate on the basis of rights. We don't request people to understand. We can claim the rights which are actually ours. But rights and independence don't vary simply as a result of technology. And there have been tremendous advantages in technology. We all use these. It's the way we get along in life these days, most of us. But the biggest problem is to change the perceptions and beliefs, the attitudes and ideas of the sighted population. That's the biggest challenge we face. And as we go forward to do that, we have to do it with great persistence, as you know. And in this room and in this organization, there is an enormous amount of experience, skills and competence in advocacy and the advocation of the rights that we possess. I started looking at these issues way back in university when my sight started to fail. I looked around for the things that could help me and I did all right, but I didn't have a great deal of support in, in those days. This was the, the early to mid-60s and things were not then what they are now. 
but I did all right. Actually, in, in Canada, we don't use the, uh, the designations that you use often here, uh, such as cum laude and uh, magna cum laude. Uh, I simply graduated, thank you, laude. And, uh, but then I did manage to attend graduate school and had a career in post-secondary education. And all during the time that that was going on, things were changing in technology, uh, but I also could see very clearly that there was a great need to change public opinion, change people's attitude, change people's concept of what is social justice and give us the just rights that we have won so far, even though we still have a long way to go. So I wouldn't presume to advise anybody here on how to do that, but what I thought I would do is just very quickly share the three principles that I have used and found effective in the work that I do. First, I believe that I must advocate without anger, but with great assertiveness. Second, I must correct without criticism, but with absolute conviction. And thirdly, I must persuade with patience, but without pressure. So, if you think about the first one, advocating without anger, you think after all these years we were entitled to be a bit angry. And I'm not really recommending that the next time somebody tells you to get a move on or asks what you think you're doing there or says this, some blind person's holding us up at the front. You know, I'm not suggesting that you sick your guide dog on them. (laughs) Nor am I suggesting that you set about them with your white cane. But by God, I've been tempted sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But... Aggression is not really a solution. Aggression is a short-term solution. Mahatma Gandhi said that aggression breeds aggression, and aggression justifies repression. So we assert ourselves. I try to assert myself as strongly as I can, as capably as I can, without being aggressive, without pressing the wrong buttons, so to speak. Second... Correct without criticism, but with conviction. You know, there are thousands of misconceptions out there. What am I telling you for? We all know it. Now, it's not because they're stupid or ignorant or anything like that. They don't think about these things. Not everybody comes across people who are blind or partially sighted. They don't quite know what to do. I can give you a fine example of it. In Canada, our major banks are all chartered nationally. We have no provincial or regional or small city banks or anything such as you have down here in the States. Up north, we do things uh, somewhat differently, and we highly regulate our banks. I know from watching CNN that the question of regulation uh, is quite a hot topic these days. As you proceed towards an election... Anyway, but we had a campaign some years ago uh, advocating uh, our largest bank and encouraging them to take a leadership role in installing accessible ATMs all over the country. And they said, okay, we'll do that. And, of course, they consulted. Give them their due. They consulted with us. They talked about it. And uh, we thought they were doing quite a job on it. 
and they came to my hometown on Vancouver Island uh, for one of the tests. And so we got um, a friend, a um, gentleman who is completely blind, and he came down to undertake this test. And the press was there, the media were there, the videographers were there. It was a great occasion. The bank manager was standing there with an expression on his face like Moses coming down from the mountain. He was clearly bringing the truth. And Stan was his name. Uh, Stan found the jack for his earbuds. They'd done a good job of that. It was very tactile. He found that, plugged in the earbuds, put them in his ear. And a moment or two later, just a moment or two later, he took them out of his ear, unplugged the jack, turned to the bank manager and said, useless. And the bank manager's jaw hit the floor with a resounding crash and tried to get the cameras to stop, but they're still turning away there. And this whole thing is being, it's being recorded. Anyway, long story short, as the saying goes, Stan explained to uh, an avid media that the first thing that had happened when he plugged in and we had said, look, we want the thing to start, you know, a few seconds after the jack uh, is inserted so that you don't have to do anything to actually start the process. It will just start a, f a few seconds after you, after you get plugged in. And that worked perfectly. He plugged in, put the earbuds in, listened, and a disembodied voice said, welcome to this accessible ATM. Let's get started. Please press the red button. <laughs> the rest of us fell about. <laughs> you know, it, you're really tempted to say, well, how... <laughs> What? <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a, it was a prime opportunity to criticize, and that's exactly what we didn't do. We continued to work with them, and the problem uh, is solved. We don't have enough of them yet, but they are spreading, and we're, we're very pleased uh, with the result. So, I try hard to correct, but not to be critical. Persuasion with patience and persistence... Well, that, that gets difficult. You'd think after all these years, patience would have run out, and to some extent, it certainly has. But it reminds me of the story of the two vultures sitting side by side, gaunt, emaciated birds sitting on the branch of a dead Joshua tree in the middle of the desert, and one is saying to the other, patience, hell, I'm going out and kill something. And sometimes you really do feel that you've just had it. How many times do you have to tell people these things? How many times do you hear can't, shouldn't, won't? Well, we need to say we can, we should, we shall, we will. We may be blind, partially sighted, but so what? We all have gifts and special things about us. Whether we play a musical instrument or not, all of us has our own song and our own music. And that's what we need to let people hear. And we...
can stand in the unity of purpose that I mentioned at the beginning, as we stand up for our independence and for our rights. There's a legend from ancient Greece which talks about a king that had three sons, and his sons wanted the kingdom divided into three parts. And he gave each of his sons a long stick of wood, and he said, break it in the middle. And they all did that and didn't know quite what the old man was up to. But nevertheless, that's what they did. And then he said, put the two halves together and break them in half. And they did that. And then he said, now put the four pieces together and break those. And they couldn't. And the lesson is quite simply that in unity there is our strength. And organizations like the ACB and the other organizations that we know about and some of us work for, that group, that consensus, that power is ultimately unstoppable. And we know that if we persist, if we advocate, if we correct, if we persuade, that eventually there will come that day that I mentioned right at the beginning, the day when we all will be able to participate fully and contribute to the social, cultural, economic, and political lives of our communities, to be employed, to travel, to possess the sense of dignity and self-worth that independence brings. So on this Independence Day, let's celebrate not only the independence we have won, but the independence that is coming, a time when we'll be able to stand up in full equality, and none of us will ever again be asked to press the red button. I wish you the best. Share your dreams, your wishes, your highest goals and aspirations. And let us go forward. Thank you all so much. Charles Mossop, president of the North American Caribbean region of the World Blind Union, was recorded on July 4, 2016, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's it for this month. I'm Mike Duke for ACB Reports. Happy New Year, everybody. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.